This morning, the question I have is, how important is a message? How important is a message? We're going to be in chapter 13, verse 13 through 43. We're now with Paul and Barnabas as they have embarked on the first missionary journey. We've been talking about missions. This is the last Sunday uh, of our missions month. Uh, we just had a, a, a great endeavor with our men uh, yesterday. We all kind of camped out for a manly man breakfast in the backyard uh, yesterday. How many of you men are, are here to live and tell about it and breathe? And uh, we just had a tremendous time yesterday. And then uh, many of us traveled to uh, all the way out to Rockland to a place called Top Golf, And we had an incredible, uh, great time. As a matter of fact, I understand it had healing powers upon one of our elders. So you, you can talk to Scott Parkinson about that a little bit later on. But right after that, we traveled about a mile up the road to one of uh, the, the ministries that we support from missions. And that is William Jessup University. And one of the professors there of theology spent some time encouraging us on leadership. And it was just valuable. And then to hear about uh, the, the magnification of that ministry and that work, um, I encourage you. If, how many of you love Christmas music? Raise your hand. Uh, their choir, which is a fantastic choir, uh, for the second year in a row, just recorded at Skywalker Ranch Studios. And they produced a Christmas album. I encourage you, go on the w William Jessup University website and find out how you can download that. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, I think there's even some pieces from Handel's Messiah that they've, they've done um, there. So... All that is kind of just a connective piece to our missions focus this month. And it's by no, uh, no circumstance or random chance that we're looking at the first missionary journey in our text now. Missions is so desperately important. The early church saw its importance. But missions has to have a message. The message has to be powerful. The message has to be complete. The message has to be true. Otherwise, what's all that effort for? What is all the, the resource going towards unless the message is life-changing? Amen? And so many of us in this room understand the life-changing power of the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, we're warming up in the room. All right? So now we get to peek into the window of this first missionary journey. I do have to do a retraction. I was in the middle of study this past week, and again, when we're in the mission journeys, you're going to be doing a lot of geography, and I realized that I, I, uh, I kind of just brain faded last week uh, and, and was talking about when, when Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were on the island of Cyprus, very good, in my life group, I kept making the point that they were on Crete. I don't know why. In my mind, I was just picturing one island in the entire Mediterranean. <laughs> I failed geography. So if at some point in time last week I was slipping in the word Crete, uh, it was just a brain fade. I apologize. I never had geography, but I learned my lesson in study this week. So we're moving from island ministry. Amen, Sony? Where's Sony? Amen, right? Island ministry. Uh, and now we're moving to the, the area of Turkey and modern-day Turkey. And they're going to move up to Pergia and, and, and then they're going to work up into the area of Galatia. And it's fascinating as to what happens. But think about my point. How important is a message? And uh, this morning what I want to do, I have, a, I have a football in my office that's on a trophy. And every year for our New Year's Day uh, football uh, tournament, the winners get to put their name on this football, and it's flat. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring that ball, and I wanted to throw it right now during this illustration. It's a visual illustration. I wanted to throw it to certain people. And I think I probably could handle like throwing it to Andrew over here but there's a chance I'd hit Nancy in the head, and she's got to play keyboards in about 35 minutes. And uh, so we don't want to injure anybody, because here's the unique thing about that particular football. It's been used so much over the years that it no longer holds any air. 
and I was excited about throwing a foot. We all see a football. Some of us will watch football later today, and we kind of understand how to throw a football, and it has its function. When we see it, we understand the context around that football and what we're supposed to do and how to interact around it. Brothers and sisters, that was the message for two millennia for the law. And just like the football in my office, that law, that message, the Jews all around the Mediterranean seaboard were holding on to. They were holding on to an object that was flat. It had purpose. When you looked at it, it made sense. It was a mechanism. It was a tool in order to understand God, to worship God. But I throw you a flat football and you grab it instantly, you're going to say something's wrong here. It's not functioning fully. And so hopefully I'm, I'm setting that vision up in your mind right now without actually injuring Nancy. That's my whole objective this morning. You see, what's in the message is that there has to be something that actually works. There has to be something that reaches its fulfillment. I can have a football, but it's never going to fulfill its true potential. It can do some of what it's supposed to do, but it's never going to fulfill its full potential unless it is filled, unless it is complete. And the one in my office, even with all those signatures, is just not able to do the job completely. That's where we are today. And so Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are on an illustrious uh, travel. They're on carnival ship lines, right? They're on the Lido deck. And they're traveling to the southern coast of what is modern-day Turkey. We're going to be in this passage pretty heavy. Now, this is a passage I want you to make some notations. If you ever find yourself in a position... And, and again, speaking to this idea of what is in a message, right? What is in a message? How important is a message? This is one that you should mark. You should underline. You should put stars in your Bible. This is a great place to take someone who's asking questions about God. I've not come across a concise passage in Scripture yet that is more complete all right, we're, we're giving you that visualization today. More complete in its entirety as far as functionality of talking to someone about relationship with God and man and how does this work. Do I have you salivating yet? Because this is going to get really good. This is going to get really good. Let's read for a little bit. You got to stay with me. It's not going to be on. I would have burned up my keyboard today if I put all the scripture on the screens. There's nothing on the screens today. We're going to go old school here, kind of like old missions, right? We're just going to interact. And if you have a question, raise your hand. We're going to treat it like the synagogue today, okay? So let's read for a little bit, starting in verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to. Perga in Pamphylia, or Persia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is the part where Christopher Nolan cues the music and it goes, dong, dong, dong. Okay? Did you catch that? John Mark, one of the ones that was there in the garden, one of the ones that was connected to that upper room who has lasted through all of these events that we've seen. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The formation of the apostles. Not an apostle, but he's with all these guys, staying devoted, not getting dissuaded, not getting discouraged. He's a servant. He's seeing the establishment of deacons. I'm hoping I make it to the... Nope, didn't get voted in as a deacon. But he stays faithful. He's not one of the ones that says, Does, do people fail to recognize I was faithful, I was there? But he stays faithful. So faithful that Barnabas picks him up as part of his team. 
as part of one of the preachers and, and co-preaching uh, uh, team of this first missionary journey based out of the church of Antioch, right? No. John Mark was support. He wasn't part of the preaching team. That was Barnabas and Paul. John Mark is support. Now let me ask you something. As you put yourself and you empathize with this individual, would you start to question your value? Would you start to say, why is it that these guys are, are getting these opportunities to share the Word when I was there and I was faithful and I've played the role of the good soldier? Have you ever been in that position? And yet I'm not getting recognized. I'm not getting recognized. Now, we don't know that he wasn't getting recognized. I'm, I'm injecting a little bit here. Why? Because we don't know why John Mark left. But John Mark left right in the middle of the journey. And the reality for us is some things never change when it comes to what it means to being a servant of Jesus Christ and doing ministry. If you've ever been weary in the ministry that you have done, I'm going to give you a 30-second window. I'm going to ask that God turns His face away and you get to raise your hand and admit that, that nobody's... We're going to shut down the camera. No, we're not going to shut down the camera. We're going to be watching all of you that raise your hands. If you have ever grown weary in the midst of a ministry and just saying, this isn't worth it, raise your hand. Yeah. There's a little John Mark in all of us, isn't there? Now what happens is we don't know exactly why John Mark left. But what we do know is it became an issue of contention and conflict so bad between Barnabas and Paul that their team broke up. This is our first church split. We'll be talking about it later as we get deeper into, into Acts. But you think about the valuation. One person looks and, and says, this guy's a quitter. I'm not bringing him back. And, and that's Paul. All right, That's very Pauline. And, and yet, what does Barnabas say? I want him. I want him on my team. And if, if you can't handle this, then I'm departing from you and we'll, just, we'll minister separately. Folks, sometimes there are good reasons why there are shifts in ministry teams. And we'll get more into this later. What I want you to see is that here in the very first missionary journey, we see someone that could not stay the course. But what happens to John Mark? Is that it? Is that all that's left? And I ask, I, I, I ask if you have ever been treated such that you backed away out of a ministry because you were having a hard time. You, you hadn't replenished the tanks, so to speak. It was difficult. You felt some of these things maybe John Mark was feeling. And then you were never given another opportunity for ministry because you weren't seen as faithful. Then that's bad leadership. On the, on the part of those that, that make those decisions about being involved. If there's a consistency of being flaky, look, one of the ways that we, we look at establishing leadership and this is not politically correct, I'll let you figure out how the um, acronym works, is we need faithful, we need available, and we need teachable people. All right? That makes a really good leadership team. And today, we'll be voting on our leadership team. But I guarantee you, every single one of those people that, that are serving in a capacity, an official capacity in our church, have all felt like John Mark at one time or another. But yeah, some of you are just figuring out what that spelled out. So, all right. It's not political. Back in my day of ministry, we could say that, but we can't say that today. The legacy of John Mark. Let's name the Gospels. Matthew. Yeah, you don't need to. We can stop. You get the point. Sorry, Luke, not, not any Johns in the, in the building. I, I didn't mean to offend any of you, but we accomplished what we were striving for. John, sees, John Mark sees this disparity. And think about being in that position. You broke up the super team. 
because of your struggle. One guy went to bat for you. One guy wants to have nothing to do with you ministry-wise. Ministry-wise. And you broke up the super team. You think you feel very qualified in the future for God to use you? And yet, what did God do? God chose the faithful servant that had kept going and going and going and, and might have struggled with recognition issues. But what we see in John Mark is the reality of our frailty in life as believers. Amen? We all struggle, brothers and sisters. And this is a peak. This is a vulnerable piece that Luke puts into Scripture. It'd be very easy to skirt over this part about their super team of leaders. Oh, everything was fine. No, everything wasn't fine. One of our team tanked and left and went home. Now, we don't know, again, why that necessarily happened, but it was enough to cause conflict between Paul and Barnabas. And yet, what does God say? God says, you know what, Mark? I have unique things set aside for you. I understand your frailty, but I am calling you to be one of the four that will pen the history and the stridently important presentation of the gospel. Wow. Barnabas never had a book. Just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. So this morning, how important is a message? It's, in, it's integrity, it's power, it's passion, it's reliability. Those are the components that carry through and change lives. But when you carry a super important message, and when you carry a spiritual message, and there's an effectiveness to that message, it will be a rough road. And sometimes, as we see this instance of John Mark, there are hiccups. What a beautiful exclamation about the love and patience of Jesus Christ. That he would bring John Mark and say, I'm going to trust you. The one Paul wouldn't trust. I'm going to trust you to write the story of my son. Or God, God establishing that. Just a tremendous understanding of what we're looking at. And all you saw there was John Mark went home. I just spent 15 minutes on that point. And the reason I did is because I think there are, there are key things for us. We get hurt, we get wounded in ministry. We're frail. There are challenges. As you think through that, as you pray for that, I encourage you, draw upon the strength that Paul and Barnabas drew upon so that you don't end up like a John Mark who feels bankrupt, so to speak, to the point that he can't continue on to the ministry that God's called him and God set him aside for. Let's continue on. We only have 40 verses and I've only done three. That'll put the fear of God in you. So what happens? So John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Persia and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now this is a different Antioch. The, the initial, this is where you're accessing those maps in the back of your Bible, right? Um, those maps I stared at for like four or five years as a four, five, six, seven-year-old, right, in church when I didn't understand what was going on. The Antioch that sent them as a church is over just above what is current-day Lebanon. All right? At that time, it was part of Syria. This Antioch is on the, the southern coast of Turkey, and it's actually inland, um, maybe about 34, 50 miles. And it's a Roman city. It would have been filled with Gentiles, with Romans, with, um, with Jews. And so they arrived there, and it says, And on the Sabbath day, they went up into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So this is fascinating. We get a look into how the synagogue worked. In synagogue worship, you would always have the declaration of what's called the Shema. The Lord God is one, right? This statement out of the Old Testament law. And so it would set the tenor of worship. 
Then there would be a reading from uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. And, and they would bring out the scrolls, and, and there's a special place in the corner of the synagogue where there was what was called an ark, and the keeper of the scrolls was in that. That would be rolled out. Uh, they sat in a square. They didn't sit like this. Uh, it created much more of a community environment. Um, this is why when we look at James, and they talk, James talks about the best seats when visitors walk in, they were still using that seating formation in the early church, and the good seats often in the synagogue were seen as the lower seats, the close seats. And, and so you had to be up in the nosebleed, you know, if, if you were fairly new or you weren't someone. And so they walk into the synagogue and you see these practical outworkings. The, other, the next thing that would often happen in a synagogue is that as people would travel through, now this is fantastic, I don't know that this would ever fly in our churches today, but as they would 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 endeavor to work through their time of worship if there was someone who was visiting they would do exactly what we hear in the text they would invite that individual to stand up and give what did you hear there a word of what a word of encouragement for the brothers later in our service you are going to have an opportunity to do that we're not just going to be mere hearers of the word today we're going to be doers amen so you will be given an opportunity to stand up. Please don't make it as long as what Paul says. Okay? Um, but this is the picture of you're getting a little window into what synagogue worship was like. Kind of fascinating, right? We think of Pharisees and, and rabbis as these hierarchical uh, individuals that wanted a, a lot of control. Well, yeah, that's who they were. But it, it, even in the midst of it, they would turn the floor over to individuals that were new, and they, they didn't necessarily know them. They had no idea, and we know that they had no idea what was coming because of what was coming and the reaction to it. And so Paul is given the opportunity for an important message. One of our five E's above us, this is our, these are our values of our church, our core values. One of those five E's really fits with exactly what is being asked of Paul. Now, encouragement is this idea that, um, let's say uh, my brother Rich here um, hurt himself uh, desperately at the foot of my barbecue yesterday while doing bacon. Let's say that he took that cast iron skillet. Oh, you're all nervous now because I'm down off the stage. Well, it's a synagogue. Okay, No, it's not a synagogue. Uh, but, you know, uh, Rich was slaving over a hot charbroil uh, Benford 3000 yesterday, and had, had three cast iron skillets running all at the same time. Let's say he picked up that skillet, or let's say I tried to pick up the skillet without a thing, and it burned my hand, and I dropped it on Rich's foot. And so my brother Rich, I'm seeing him today, and I know this happened, none of you guys know this happens, and then Rich suddenly has to get up. Right now, Rich has to get up, <laughs> and uh, we don't really know why. Maybe he's got to go to the restroom. Maybe he's just sick of being used as an example all the time. He's never going to sit in the front row again. <laughs> but he's like, I'm out of here. And I see him limp. Limp. Like really limp. Okay, stop. He gets a cramp now. So now I'm going to, because I know I'm the guy, I'm going to come and I'm going to like, Rich, come on, let me help you. Let me walk next to you and help you leave this church. No, come back, Rich. <laughs> This is the idea of encouragement. Often we think encouragement is just saying a nice word. Right? This rose. I have no idea why this rose is here. Actually, I think I know why this rose is here. They're both sitting in the same spot. Is this, this is, right? Okay. It gets a little confusing because in this spot, you all have your spots. I don't know if you know it. You all have your spots. We were talking about this in our men's trip yesterday. You all have your spots that you sit in. And uh, some of you like to warm yourselves over here, which is really dangerous. Actually, Rihanna, I've seen Rihanna get up and sit in the windowsill on occasion, okay, which she is free to do in synagogue worship. Okay. Um, but this rose, you all know why we have roses, right? A single rose? What, what, what are we signifying with this encouragement? A new life. And, and James and Valerie, you may not know, but this rose is for your wonderful baby daughter. And it's Ava, correct? 
Ava, this rose is for you. So we just want to say celebration and congratulations. So a lot of that nobody would understand, which is usually how my messages go. But the reason this gets confusing is these are new grandparents as of Friday afternoon. And so, yes. Oh, and, and Sunette, yes. And Sunette and Nabil, yes. So another group that sits over here most of the time, Stephen and Holly Gad, have a, a new son. And I, so far, we understand there's no name yet. The, Ezra Jacob. Ezra Jacob. Fantastic. So see, this is what's called an encouraging word. Do you feel encouraged? I hope so. Say yes. Okay, good. This is an encourage. This is what we're used to. This is what we do, right? <laughs> it's not encouraging according to the clock and where I am in my notes. But what I just did with Rich is also encouragement. Let's remember that because in these five E's, we have this word edify. It's kind of the same thing, except edification. Edification is mostly done verbally. Encouragement gives a little bit different flavor in the sense that I can come along and help out. So Pam and Chuck are in my life group. They are an encouragement to our life group on so many different levels, but let me give you a very directive way that they're an encouragement. It's called Pam's Brownies. <laughs> right? But not only that, Pam brought a sign-up list so that as we're hosting our life group, we're not having to take care of cleaning the house and getting all the chairs arranged and doing all that and supply all the snacks. But you don't want to be the person that says that. You don't want to sit in front of your life group and say, come on, people. Uh, how much do you want from me? Do you want me to bleed more? What do you want? You know, you don't want you. And so someone stepped up and that was so encouraging. So encouragement is this much more broad thing. Are you catching that? I hope so, because I put a lot of energy into that. So when you stand up to give a word of encouragement later today, I want you to think about what is it that God would have me say in context to someone? In context to someone. Now, let's look at how this unfolds. Shall we? Are you ready? All right, stay focused. This is, this is going to take some work. Here we go. So Paul stands up to give a word of encouragement. He stands up, verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said this, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Strong introduction. Right? You know, you're kind of new in town and somebody gives you the floor. Um, probably a good idea to kind of run with the humility angle. Paul just... I mean, seriously, did you hear what just... Men of Israel, listen, right? How many of you guys want me to preach like this? <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm going to sit back down. He goes in hard right away. Now, here we go. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. If I talk about it, we're going to be here for an hour. We lost our Samuel prophet this past week. He's doing well. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. How many of you have heard that statement? David was a man after God's own heart, and you never knew where that was in Scripture. Here it is. 
who will do my will of this man's offspring god has brought to israel a savior jesus as he promised before his coming john had proclaimed john the baptist a baptism of repentance to all the people of israel and as john was finishing his course he said what do you suppose that i am i am not he meaning the messiah no but behold after me one is coming the sandals of whom whose feet i am not worthy to untie brothers sons of the family of abraham and those among you who fear god to us has been sent the message of this salvation thesis statement this is it it would be like someone walking here and preaching about the importance of being a loving church y'all be like yes and then they take it to the next step and they say and some of the best churches are like the church in smyrna jesus describes them as small but mighty you're like yes we like this person and then he keeps preaching about how you know the church the actual church is a is a a pulling together of the different nations and people of different uh, gender and, and, and socioeconomic and, and culture. And you're like, yes, this person is just like, they get it. That's what he was doing with those in the synagogue. He mentions Saul. He mentions Egypt, which in a sense he's mentioning Moses, Right? You ever want to be popular in synagogue? Drop Moses' name. You're in. No problem. He talks about David. See, what is in a message is important. He knew his audience. And so he takes what they know. Listen to this very carefully. He takes what they know and he acknowledges it. He's building a, a koinonia, a Greek word for fellowship usually those conversations go really well right because you're conversing with somebody you've never seen you've never known and what are they doing they're preaching to the choir you're like i like you have you ever been in a position like that and you just met and they're, what they're saying you it's just nailing you you're like yes where have you been we're simpatico that's what's happening and then paul says jesus and then he gives what is so important about this message. We bring to you the message of what? Salvation. You want to know why missions is important. All that work, all that effort to get out there. Folks, one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about missions is when I see picture after picture of missionaries' children, a hike they went on, the day that they spent in the city, the local market, you know, this, I get that, and I like some of those pictures. I want to know what your culture, what your community, it helps. But if I'm not hearing about the message, what are we doing? What are we doing? Paul said to the church at Rome, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How will anyone hear unless someone what speaks what we have as a message is important the content of that message is important and you see what paul's doing here right the whole front side of what he's talking about just speaks to their hearts they're like yeah we like this guy in his group and then he says and here is the most important thing about that message jesus so he goes on and he says this about jesus because now he's going to teach them something new for those who live in jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every sabbath fulfilled by condemning him fulfilled them by condemning him now he's speaking specifically to how they interpret things how they see things and he's speaking to them because they can relate to those that are in Jerusalem. You think about a Jew who's hearing about those who came from Jerusalem and the connectivity, right? It's like being away from the church that you love and all of a sudden we send an emissary out there 
and you're saying, wait, you were in Jerusalem? You knew the Senate? You knew the Jewish people? You knew the high priest? What are they doing? What are they saying? Let me tell you. They crucified this Jesus. Why? This was going really well, but now our leaders in our, our, our national office didn't understand this and crucified him? What are you talking about? And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. They would have known exactly who Pilate is. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his what? Witnesses to the people. And we bring you the gospel. What does it say in your Bible? The good news. It's the same word. Now we bring you the good news. You speak into my heart. You speak into my heart. And now you're talking about the national office. You're talking about this important message of salvation. Well, that would have resonated. They believe in Messiah. You know, here's the interesting thing. His message is to speak to what the people know, the OT history, okay? When you speak to someone, when you share this important message, speak to what they know. Find out what they know. Start there. Then his message is to speak to what they think they know. And this is where he's talking about, and we're going to enter into it, he talked already, we've read already where he spoke about the prophets. Well, they would have known, right? What did I share with you is, is the typical structure for the synagogue worship is to read the Shema and then to read from the prophets. They would have known, and, and Paul's already spoken about the prophets here real quickly. He's setting up his message eloquently, perfectly. And now he introduces Jesus, and he's talking about the fact that Jesus, this man Jesus, who was God walking on earth, fulfilled these things to which they think they know. They're waiting for Messiah. So Paul is going to introduce them to how Jesus fulfills all that they know. And then his message is to speak to what they need to know, which is Jesus. So listen as I go through it. By the way, these are just some of the prophecies, and I'll say something interesting about prophecies here in a minute. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, they know what this promise is of Messiah, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by what? Raising Jesus. No more important message. Brothers and sisters, if we're out doing missions and we fail to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have failed in our message. Amen? Amen. I get reaching to the needs of the people. I get speaking and giving counsel. I get being comforted. I get being uh, emphatic and, and empathetic. But how are we ever going to know? How, is the, how are those that are living with a, a, a flat football ever going to get that ball functional so it really works unless we tell them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Paul doesn't even hesitate. And now he's going to double down. As also it is written in the second psalm. I could just see it. You know you all look at me with response, Right? I'll say certain things and people will be like, oh, the eye roll. Then I'll say certain things and I'll see the elbow jab. That took a little bit longer for people to figure out. Uh, I'll see things where, where people are like, like, you know, the connection, I call it the one foot travel, that, that you're hearing, you're contemplating, and then it hits the heart. And usually what happens is, is you're connected, you're, you're squinting a little bit, and then it goes there, and you go somewhere else. And you're like, you're like this, and then you go, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> right? The, 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 the message, if it is important, and that's, I can just see those in the synagogue doing this. 
he talks about, and, and just think about the nationalism. I don't know if you're going to get any stronger nationalism than those who are Jewish at this time in, in, in the first century. And so they're like, yes, 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 Jesus in our, our national office killed him. Well, they must be right. And then you're saying he raised him from the dead? Okay, I'm kind of still interested. Okay, I see that in your faces. So let's go back. Let's go back to what you think you know. That's exactly, Paul's masterful. By the way, it's, this started with, hey, does anybody have anything exciting to say today? You think he's working on it on the Carnival Cruise Line on the Lido deck in a sun chair? Yeah! He's just stepped up boldly on Cyprus and he saw how God used it to change the heart of a leading Roman official. He's like, I gotta up my game, man. I gotta be prepared in season and out of season, his very words to Timothy. So I'm gonna have that sermon that's always in my back pocket because you never know what's gonna happen. Boom, we're in Antioch. Hey, guys, isn't this cool? They got the same name in the city of the one that sent us. There's just some connective tissue here. Hey, if anybody has a word of encouragement, Paul's like, ah, I got one right here, okay. We need to be prepared like that. So Paul doubles down. Watch this, and, and we're going to finish out with this. So he quotes Psalms in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. They believe in this. They're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. They don't know what's been fulfilled in Jesus. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. That meaning the body decaying. There was no decay. All right? And, and the interesting thing in the subnotes that many of you probably heard is that as he speaks this important message to these individuals that are Jewish and, and the connective tissue to David and the messianic line coming through David, some wanted to interpret that David was connected to that. They said, no, 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 he's not writing about himself. You know why? Because you can go to Jerusalem and you can see the tomb of David and he's in there. And the body is decayed. This cannot be about David. He's talking in a prophetic sense about Messiah. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he'd served the purpose, of, I already read that, verse 37, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is... Pro oh, here we go. Here we go. He's like, I put away what you think you know. We've covered that one, and now... ABC, right? What does ABC mean? You're like, is that a theological term? Is it? It's a sales term. Nice! That's my disciple over there. I just want you guys to know that. Well done. Uh, always be closing. Paul is closing right now. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. You have an inflated football waiting for you. Why would you use this flat one? Unless you're Tom Brady. I'll move on. <laughs> My team's playing those cheaters in a little bit. Beware, therefore, lest what it is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. I believe this is in Habakkuk. Even in that, he's using what they know, what they think they know, and he says, be careful, I just handed you a boatload, and it's true, and it's verifiable, be careful that you do not fulfill this prophecy by becoming a scoffer. What happened? So what happened with this future of what they need to know? Well, the effectiveness of this important message becomes on display in 42-43. You know, a pastor or a Bible study leader or a parent to their child can speak an important message over and over and over. I'm going to speak about James and Velia over here. This is their son, um, I call him J-Man. Actually, I've never called him J-Man, but I'm going to call him J-Man now. All right? You look good. That's a nice tie. 
Now, this young man has been attending our youth group for, what, two months? A couple months, maybe three months? And we can see the important message that James and Velia are investing in their son. It is evident by how he walks, how he carries himself, how he communicates. We can see the important message. What happens in this story? Paul gives this beautiful, eloquently put together message of the importance of the whole economy of God and man. There is a new thing. There is a better thing. Yes, we had the football here. It looked great, but it was insufficient. Now it has been fulfilled and inflated and is fully functional for your joy and for your pleasure and for your effectiveness. It's called Jesus Christ was raised. And there are witnesses. Now what will you do with it? And be careful that you don't scoff. That is an important message to you and I today. And so what happens? Fantastic. Look at 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Begged. This is my life every Sunday. We get get done here and there is a bum rush to this stage saying, I can't wait for next Sunday, Pastor. I was walking out of an establishment this past week. Many of you know that I've been reaching out to American Youth Soccer Organization in our community, and I've got some deep friendships there. And I walk out of an establishment this past week, and a man's coming out. I'm going in. Or actually, I'm just standing outside, and he comes out, and he does one of these. I'm like, oh, no. Is this like Amway sales or something? What am I going to get tagged for here? He's looking at me and he says, I think I know you. And I I, I said, okay. And he says, didn't you do the memorial service for Denise Munoz? Which, a very close friend of ours, and who's a, a widely regarded great man, great couple, great family in our community. Um, uh, his wife passed away um, recently, and all of that work, all of that time, all of that connective tissue, God has blessed. And with one of those leaders of that, that board back in June, I was asked to do that memorial service in a bar downtown. And I got to present this important message. And then I came here, and we as a church were able to reach out to our community and had over 200 people in here for that memorial service. None of you knew about it. And this gentleman was there, and he said to me, just on a random happen chance, right, random happen chance, said, I so valued the words you said that day. Those were life-changing words. Thank you so much. The importance of the message is paramount. And how we use that message to change lives is paramount. I didn't finish the very last verse. I like this because I got with this whole thing of people begging that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. They bought the message. How Paul presented this important message was so strong and the Spirit was so connected to it. You talk about a word of encouragement? Look at the response. You want to know if you're giving a word of encouragement? Look at the response. And these individuals came and they begged, you know, please return next week. And then it's over. Let's go home. And these people followed them. Couldn't get enough because of the importance of that message. Does that message have that importance for you today? I pray that it does. I pray what you just heard, which is a beautiful presentation of God and man, and God working with man, that what you would choose is not the deflated, inefficient ball that served a purpose for a time, but now with your salvation rooted in Jesus Christ because of its effectiveness that He was raised from the dead, and He has power over sin and death, 
that you believe in that and that you're willing to follow that. You know what's interesting is here's how we seal the deal in America. This dates back to the Civil War. You know, a lot of our missionaries learned this, a lot of our church, churches learned this, that to really know if somebody is going to commit, you, you do what? You pray a prayer. You pray the sinner's prayer. You know that sinner's prayer never existed before the Civil War in the United States? Let me tell you what existed. What you just saw on the page. The evidence that you were a disciple of Jesus Christ was that you were willing to, according to Christ's words, that you were going to leave your life behind. You were going to leave your family. You were going to leave your work. And you were going to what? Follow. And what did these individuals do? Without even being asked, they followed. And this is the secret that unveils the fact that these individuals believed in this important message. That Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to pursue, investigate, seek, look into. No, the word is continue. The word that Luke uses here signifies the fact that their faith was born that day, according to that important message. My prayer is today, if there's anyone here, that you hear this message, that the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, and that you are saying, I don't want to deal with an insufficient message. I want to deal with one that is powerful, that has the opportunity and the promise to change my life and lead me from darkness into light. I don't fully get it, but it pulls me, and therefore I want to follow. Let me close in prayer, and then we're going to have a meet and greet time, and uh, then we'll give praise today in worship. Without looking at your watches, and without looking back at the clock, how long do you think I just preached? Ten hours? <laughs> what? Yes. Fifty minutes. Almost an hour. You cannot, that's breaking all the rules. You cannot do that unless the Spirit of God is working. That's our problem. The Spirit is working too much through the message around here. That's why we're always running late. So let's, let's pray to that Spirit now. Father, thank you so much for this message, this important message. Use it for your glory. I pray that if there is one that this morning, that message, what we just heard from Paul's lips, the truth the veri verifiable, the reliable, the credible truth, the inspiring message of Jesus loving and, and willingly sacrificing Himself that we might have eternal life and that You loved us so much that You were willing to do that. You were willing to send Your Son and He loved us so much that He was willing to die and fulfill His purpose. And that we can take stock and hold to the idea that death had no victory. Death has no victory over a believer in Jesus Christ. Because as Christ was raised as promised, we can bank on the same promise that we will be raised for eternal life. I pray, Lord, that if there is one here, that they would be just like those that in verse 42, that they would be begging for more of this message. And that their faith has been ignited today. And that, Father, they would continue in the grace of God. We praise you in all things. Amen.